So when we think about that video and about what Christianity is, do sometimes you think that that's what it's supposed to look like? Has anybody thought that? I have. Yeah, I have, where it's supposed to look like. And honestly, I hate to tell you this, but there was a time that our church kind of looked like that, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it was an embarrassing moment for me. Uh, it was years ago, some people, I think Kristen and Lucia, do you guys remember? It was sort of where, it was kind of a, a big wake-up call because we were doing an event with um, other people, and our group was the only one not helping. And it just didn't even cross anybody's mind that maybe it would be good to help. At the beginning of our church, started off as more of, of a gang ministry, and I was a little codependent myself. And so I didn't do that well in that ministry. Uh, I had a, a lot of love. I had a lot of desire to give. But somehow in my brain, I thought that what look, love looked like was to do everything for people. And so I got used to that. I got used to kind of being the one-man show, you know, uh, people that were around back then r- remember. I'd, you know, I did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the driving, all of the giving, all of the everything. And so I think I, I, I got to the place where as our church grew and changed and everything else, I, um, I had never taught anybody that the value in what it is to serve or to give. And so it was kind of mortifying. It was a mortifying moment. And I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed and I felt, I realized that I had failed uh, a lot as far as um, somebody that was trying to bless and help other people, that, that, that what I was doing and how I was teaching things was not really blessing people as much as I, as I would like to. And, and doing everything for people is not really um, the best thing as far as growth and development goes. So we think sometimes church should look like that, but it's not really good for people to be in that mindset of coming and being like, I'm showing up, what are you going to do for me? Because, and the strange thing is, it's because, and we're going to go through this section in Corinthians, it's because it really, really seriously hinders our growth to have that mindset. Like, we will stay, I think we had talked about this, you know, the other day, it, it, it's about as attractive and as appealing as somebody having, you know, you think about like an infant and what an infant does. An infant is supposed to be, you know, a baby's born and you're supposed to do everything for a baby, right? You know, ba- the, the baby doesn't have responsibilities, you know. you just like, that's a part of being a baby. Like, you can't do anything for yourself. You don't have the ability to do anything for yourself. You know, so you, you need somebody to take care of you, feed you, change you, carry you. You can't even walk. But think about it. How long um, does a baby stay in that mode? When does, you know, like, what would be, like, where everything's done for them? You know, it's really not that long. Because the first part is kind of, like, the first, the first step is actually walking, probably, where you do that on your own. You know, where, where there's some movement, where you're moving towards the things that you want or where you want to go or things like that. And a lot of our spiritual journey looks like that, too. It's true that when you're first born again, there's a lot that you're like a baby. You know, it's supposed to look like that. That's what we had talked about in Corinthians, 
where the beginning of our walk as a baby and Christian of just getting to know the Lord is kind of in a feed me, feed me, you know, kind of, you know, and everything's kind of idyllic and euphoric. And it's just like, wow, I just pray and instantly things come and everything seems so easy and everything else. But it's not, a, it's not the most attractive thing to stay in that receive mode as you grow, as, as time goes by. If time goes by, like for you parents, when do you start asking your kids to do things like put away their toys? When do you start making the requests? At one years old, wouldn't it? Kimberly's saying one, that you just say, hey, put this, put it back, you know, you know, that kind of thing. So, and it's a part of a growth and development that's really healthy. Now, you might not, in the beginning, when you're asking a one-year-old, it's not like they get punished for getting it all, you know, for not getting it right. It's, you know, there's not all of this, you know, screaming and yelling and spanking because they didn't get all the toys back together. But there is, it's very short that in a human development, you know, life that what's good for children is to start doing things, to start giving, to start uh beginning with walking, beginning with putting away your toys, etc. Well, our spiritual lives look like that as well. You know, it's not, and just think about how fulfilling, even in thinking about enjoyment or fulfillment in life, how enjoyable, we talked about this before, would your life be if you're 30 and somebody's feeding you and carrying you, changing your diaper, <laughs> Is that, that's not exactly the life that we're all desiring. <laughs> I know some people do that. It's a little weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, anyway, so through this section, I was thinking about the through line. It, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. Um, it really, a lot of the emphasis here is um, relating to the concept of not being self-focused and being others-focused and being and, and places that we can give. Now, remember Corinthians is a reproof epistle, and we had read that they were kind of immature, and, um, you know, Paul was saying, you're still drinking milk when you should be eating meat kind of thing, um, that they were still acting like infants when they shouldn't be, when it was time for them to move, al- move along. And one of the areas that we start off with in 1 Corinthians 9 is that they... They were having a hard time with um, giving. We actually see that later in Corinthians, that they were ha- just of money, that they were challenged by that, that they were having a hard time in their faith with that, and that they were even challenging the Apostle Paul, um, you know, as far as like, so he's talking right now about the fact that as a minister, um, it's it, a minister doing work for the Lord, it's okay for them to get paid. Now, I know I'm a volunteer minister, but um, but it is an okay thing for ministers if they're working for the Lord to have that as being a job. It can, it can be, a, you know, a legitimate, valid job. So 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, that's where we pick up. And we see kind of two different thinking. We see their thinking on one side, which is kind of me, 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 and then we have the Paul's thinking uh, that's coming from a really different place. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So these are people that he has been serving. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. Don't we have the right to f- 
food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers, or Cephas? Or it is only I and Barnabas who must work for a living. So at this point, there are different points where the apostle Paul was ministering and working to take care of his own financial needs, but it was because they had issues in their brain of being too immature to think that they would give to him. Um, In verse 7 it says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Um, Ox deserves to be fed if it's treading your grain. Is it... uh, Is it... About oxen that God is concerned, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So here's the contrast. The Apostle Paul is dealing with people that are, are having a hard time wrapping their head around giving. And, and he's saying that they've got some growing spiritually to do, that it's holding them back in many ways. But he's saying he will not take money if it's going to get in the way of their getting that he's teaching about giving having nothing to do with him. He would rather work his butt off and have a job to get them because he teaches about giving also in Corinthians and kind of really gives them a hard time about the fact that they're, that they're not, you know, growing in faith as far as where they should be in, in honoring God financially. So he's saying, I'm going to work so that you have no reason to think I'm asking for me. If it's going to get in the way. So this is the opposite. Now, there's a guy that's going, well, I'm working as a volunteer and doing all of this, and I should be entitled to earn a living ministering. But so here we've got the other side of the coin of Paul going, I'd rather inconvenience my, more than inconvenience himself, I'm sure, than to do anything that would get in the way of their hearts from getting to know God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that that's where his heart was. You know, I, I believe, and one of the things in this is that there is value in sacrifice. There is, and we're going to see this throughout this chapter, it is a good thing to be in a place, and it's a sign of being healthy, that you can be in a place that you can be uncomfortable. You know, some of us don't know how to do that. It's something that it's... It's like that we should have in our toolbox at some point that it's a good thing to know that you can go without or that you can stretch yourself or you go without sleep sometimes or do you know what I'm saying? Like now part of this is there's wisdom in knowing the balance. Some people that is not the same as being codependent where you don't receive anything. You give and give and give and it's always about other people and you don't take care of yourself. That is not the will of the Lord either. The will of the Lord is that we are... If you are going to be in a place that you're serving, you've got to be receiving. You have to be aggressive about making sure that you're taking care of your own spiritual health, or you will get funky in what you're giving other people. 
You cannot be giving and ministering without making sure that you are getting fed and taken care of, or you're going to give out toxic stuff. So that's not what we're talking about. But it should also be that we're in a place that if, if it makes a difference, and we're going to see this as a theme, for somebody believing or loving God, we can be uncomfortable for that. You know, like it's worth it. People's lives are worth it to be, you know, whatever, like um, to go without sleep or to, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be. Uh, to put off whatever luxuries or comforts or immediate gratification to be there to make a difference in somebody else's life. So he's saying, I just, I love, I love the heart. I love the heart. I'm into this. I love this. It's just sort of like, I'm not going to do anything to hinder the gospel of Christ. And it says in verse 13, don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve in the altar share in what is offered for the altar in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now, see, it's easy for me to teach this because I'm not taking my living from the gospel, so I'm okay with endorsing this and not worried about what you guys think about it. But um, um, in verse 15, it says, But I have not used any of these rights. I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. He's not, and again, I love this. He's teaching it because he believes it's true. He believes it's what God says. I believe that. I believe, for instance, I believe in giving. I believe in it. It's, it's worked for me. I believe it's a huge thing to honor God with our finances. I don't receive anything. I don't have any ulterior motive. Why the heck do I care? I, I have no attachment to what people give, but I've seen it for my life. I've seen the blessing of putting God first financially. You know, It's given me incredible freedom in my life to see the blessings of that. Um. It says, I'm not writing in hopes that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. (laughs) Kind of dramatic. (laughs) Um, I think think he's passionate about the fact that he loves the fact that he's doing this because he believes it's the right thing to do as far as what he's teaching. And in verse 16, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast boast because I'm compelled to preach. There's not really anything to boast about in that. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's like, it's like that verse in, in Jeremiah that says that the word of God is, is like, you know, in his bones, shut up like a fire in his bones, you know, that he cannot help but speak, you know. So it's, it's that kind of passion that I feel that way. I do. Honestly, guys, I feel so thankful for what God's done for me. I, I could not shut up about it. You know, I don't care what people think. I, you th- I really don't care. You could think I'm a dork. You can think I'm weird. You know, I'm, I am not embarrassed to tell people about God and Jesus Christ because my life has been changed radically forever because of what God's done for me and my Savior Jesus Christ. Profoundly. I am not going to apologize for that. What's to apologize for? I'm not, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to agree with it. I'm okay with that. I, I, don't, I have no interest in shoving anything down anybody else's throat. I have no interest in, you know, I, my ego's not involved. If other people don't believe, I love you just the same. It's not that. But I'm not going to not say and brag about what God's done for me because I know it to be true. And honestly, I just really want with everything that's within my 
in me, I want people to have a chance. That's all that we can offer people. I want everybody to have that option to at least have a chance that I got. You could say, no, I respect that. I, it's not going to bother me. But gosh, I just, I just want to, I want so desperately for everybody to have the opportunity. That's why I don't, I like putting stuff on Facebook. I got people I work with. I got casting directors. They might think I'm weird. These are people I do business with. They're not Christians. Most of them are not Christians. But this is something that's changed my life. So, hey, they're all going to see this stuff. They're constantly seeing my posts. You know, I'm not going to hide my faith, you know, or what God's done for me because I'm proud. I'm just proud of that. (sighs) You know, I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news, you know. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. Then in preaching the, the good news, the gospel, I might offer it free of charge. And so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. There is, I have to say, there is a blessing in, you know, in the freedom of not being a paid minister. You know, I have to say, I kind of like it because it's just like, you know, I dare you to give me a hard time about why I'm doing this because what else, what the heck else would I, why else? You know, I could be making probably, you know, I, I working more, doing something, and but I don't care, you know. Um, verse 19, it says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. This is what I think is really interesting. I was looking about this because... Think there's different ways you can look at that, though I am free and belong to no man. Now, technically, you know, he might be speaking about that he is, there, there are many actually uh, interesting ways to look at this as far as like he's technically not a slave, so he, so he doesn't owe that. But it says, but think about, you want to, it says, and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. This means that you're not doing it because free means you're not doing it for people pleasing. That's not free. You're not free if, you're, if you are doing things that are people pleasing. If you are doing things because you're codependent, that's not free. Free is being able to be a slave because you're choosing it and you don't care whether they like you back. That's free. Free is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to live my life. I, I, I believe in this with every part that's within me. I want to do my best to live in a way that I can pass on healing. And that might be saying uncomfortable or difficult things to somebody and they might hate me. I, I am willing to take the risk. And it's not just from love. I respect people's free will incredibly. But I'm, but I'm going to take the risk. That's free. That's being free but being a slave. Where your heart and your lifestyle is, you're living in a way that you are, that you are choosing to be a slave. There is no hook. There is no, like, you needed to turn out a certain way. You're not doing it for your ego or to convert people to your religion so you'll feel better about what you believe. You know what I mean? Like, that's not free. If you're worrying about that you need other people to believe in Christianity somehow or else you're not going to feel good about it, that's not free. So I was thinking about, like, all the implications of that. 
that's when it really, it's okay to be a slave. The other kind of slave is toxic. You know, and I've been there. I've walked down that road a lot. I spent most of my life working in the, walking in the other kind of slavery, you know, which wasn't a choice. It was more, everything was trying to figure out how everybody's going to like me and, every, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I just love that. I just love the fact that it is, like, that's the, that's the way that we want to, to be serving, not because we're going to feel guilty, not because people won't like us, not because we feel like we've got to. Do you know? That's not free. But there's incredible freedom in willingly making a choice to serve and to submit yourselves and to be there for other people. It says, to win as many as possible. You know, I'll make myself uncomfortable, I, you know. And then he gives some examples. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. You'd, you know, you have no, whether you, you have no control over whether people believe or hear or anything. But the idea is that what he was is, there's a few ways to look at this as far as like when he was with these people, he was like that. There's a few ways. One is, I think that there's value in wherever we're at, can you stand in and identify with people and where they're at? even if the experience is different? There's, that's a part of it as far as standing in and just going, I see it. If you stand in with somebody in their experience and see it through their eyes and help talk in a way that they can, you're connecting with them, I think that's what this is right here. That's a piece of what this is. Part of it is also doing things where his behavior was, were things that would honor somebody else and not be offensive. We talked about that before, whether it's, you know, if, if you're going to speak to somebody that's more conservative, you might dress more conservatively. And it's giving up your rights. Because, yes, do you have the right to dress however you want? Yes, you do. But the idea is going, I'm choosing on purpose that I can be there for another person to dress more conservatively because that will help them to open up as opposed to putting walls up. So it's thinking in that way that we've got that willingness to not be about um, insisting in our freedoms or our rights or what we're, you know, able to do so that we might be able to connect and reach other people, that we don't do a stumbling block. Um, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And then in verse 24 it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that have to do with Christianity? We're supposed to run like we're getting the prize. What does that look like? You mean it's not just beta breakers where we're having fun and we have costumes or something? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, we're not supposed, the Christian walk is not supposed to look like beta breakers. We go and you're drinking on, along the road and have a little costume. And, you know, people do that, right? Yeah. Beta breakers. 
not a very, or no costume, or, um, so you think about, but you think about that, is that funny, in a Christian walk, that they're describing it, that we should run like we're going to win, now think about what, what do you, what happens if you run for fun, or you run to win, what's, what are the differences that come to mind between that, intention, what, effort, just think about your mindset, even. Focus, intensity. You have to give up things to get there, yeah. Not as comfortable. Not as comfortable. Training. You can't, you're not going to be able to win just if, you, you know, investment. There's all kinds of things. Isn't that wild that the Apostle Paul is talking about our life that way? Wow. Why? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought it's just supposed to be, hey, having a good time. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like, it's really funny as we're looking at this. Again, I think the living a life where do what you feel like, what feels good, immediate gratification, I'm telling you, is just not as fulfilling as you think it would be. It sounds good. It sounds good. Just, you know, let me sit around and get waited on and, do you know what I'm saying, and be, or whatever. But it says, it says, run in such a way to get the prize. And think about what the prize spiritually might be. If you think about that. In verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. You cannot be a competitor without training. If you want, if you want to grow spiritually, I, this is, these are options. You can go, you can do whatever you want with it. But no, seriously, like, there's options on how to do this. There, you know, but to grow a lot spiritually, and I mean, in a way that you are hearing from God, and you are aware of God's presence, and you're seeing the power of God, it takes training, guess what? That's not a solo thing. You need help. You need others. You need structure. You need discipline. Those are things that you need to accomplish anything. Think about this working out. Working out kind of thing. Who loves to work out? Yeah. So, for those who has... Let, let me ask another, another one. Who has ever liked working out? Okay. Now, what's the difference between, how about those that love working out? Are there any times you don't love working out? So, so it's interesting, isn't it? Like, like you can love working out, and it's not always that you love it all the time. Working out spiritually is the same. You're not going to love it all the time. But, but what is it? But there's moments that you're going to love it. What do you love about it when you love it? About working out. Everybody's talking about that they've had moments of loving it. So what are the things you love about it? Challenge, Challenge the accomplishment. Feeling strong and healthy. Feeling strong and healthy. The, the what? Fruit the fruit of it. Powerful. Powerful. Pushing yourself to the limit. There's, there are tons of, it can be exhilarating, exciting, going beyond what you thought was possible. How about that? Have you ever felt that, that you're that your capabilities, that you thought, that you're doing things you never thought were doable. 
The other thing is, is your body can do so much more when it's trained than not trained, can it? And that's kind of fun. Isn't it fun to be able to do stuff that you couldn't do when you weren't, you know what I mean? Like, it feels, <laughs> you, can <do> the <laughs> you can even walk upstairs without a problem. Um, so it says, everyone that competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to, to get a crown that will last forever. Now, how long, think about this. I always wonder, man, people go and train for the Olympics for how hard, how long do people train? Years and hours and hours and hours a day. And what do you get at the end? A little thing that, that you put around your neck. If you win, if you win. You know, it's, it's really interesting to see what people are willing to do as far as hours and hours and hours a day and years and years and years for that thing around their neck. It says, but what we're doing, it's good. All that, f it, you know, it says bodily exercise profs, profits a little while. That doesn't mean it's not profitable. Bodily exercise is a good thing. But godliness profits for all time. So, so what about, like, what kind of energy, like, how much more worthwhile, I would say, to put things into things that are going to last for all eternity, where the fruit of what we're doing lasts for all eternity, that the impact on our lives is about something that, that profound, you know? I tell you, I... I'm motivated by this. I, I cannot, I don't know, you know, like, I'm hoping heaven's there when I get there. I am, I'm hoping. But, you know, the, the one part about heaven, because part of this I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Like, it's hard to envision what that's like. But the one thing I have to say that I really get excited about is the idea of seeing somebody's face that's there because I, I spoke to them. I cry every time I think about, if it's just like one person's face, I'm going to be like, oh, oh. We're, it really happened. We're really here. And, you know, like looking into the face of somebody because I shared the gospel. You know, I'm telling you, I want, that's why I'm way more motivated by this than acting class. You know, I, I am. I'm sorry. I get, you know, paid lots of money for the other thing, but I'd rather, but this is what I care about. Acting's great. It's a lot of fun, but I'm telling you, this is like, this just makes me, my life is so, like, exciting that people's lives are changed, healed, delivered. I've seen it forever. Like, people's lives dramatically transformed. I'm willing to get loose sleep for that. I'm willing to be uncomfortable for that. I, it lights my fire, man. I can't think of any other reason that's worth living because this is real. This is sustainable. This is, even if there's not a heaven when we get there, look at all the healing that happened on the way. It says, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Like, think about what that looks like. Beta breakers. Um, backwards circles. I do not fight like a man beating the air. What does that look like? Think about a guy that's fighting the air. 
you know, it probably looks like me working out, not, not very good at, I don't know, you know, like, oh, doesn't look like much of a punch at all. Um, no, we don't want to fight like we're fight like just punching air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. That's what we talked about the training. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So there is a part of beating your body doesn't sound fun. You know, but the thing is, is that, again, but there is, it is kind of fun. You know, it is fun. It's just sort of like being able to see... If you feel, if you have guys have ever seen what your bodies can do working out, what does that look like to work out spiritually? What would your life look like? You know, as far as what your capacity goes or what you're able to do or how much you're able to heal or how much you're able to make a difference or how many people, how about being effective at how many people you can reach or touch or, you know, honestly, that's been a passion of mine. I have spent years, because it excites me, trying to figure out how to talk to people from different lifestyles and backgrounds, because it matters to me. It's not something that you just come out of the womb great at. It's something that, because you care, you go, okay, how can I relate better? And you pray about it and hear from God and get better at hearing from God on those things. It's, to me, it's just, that's worth putting some energy into. Um... I just want to kind of quickly go through, how am I doing here? Um, in verse, chapter 10, we'll kind of do an overview because um, it's the same theme. In verse uh, 10, verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, then that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. What happened to them were examples, as examples were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you accept what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not. Oh, I actually want to hit that a little later. Let me kind of talk to you about what's happening here. Um, Lachey had shared the story a couple of months ago, but basically, God led Moses. I mean, God had Moses lead Israel out of the desert into the promised land, and they, you know, they he they went through the Red Sea. They saw the Red Sea part. They were then, you know, on their way to the promised land. And it wasn't very long. Moses went, you know, to hear from God and get the Ten Commandments and that they were worshiping a golden calf and had prostitutes in their worship service. And it just, like, in a very short while. And then God provided them with manna, you know, and a cloud by night and, you know, pillar of fire by day, a cloud, you know, or cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He took care of them through the, through the desert, but no matter what, like God gave them everything, took care of them for everything, 
And they bitched and moaned the whole time. They're like, we'd be better off as slaves. Let's go back to Egypt. And this food sucks, this free food that's being completely, you know, given to us. And you know, it, just, it just went on and on and on. And it said that God couldn't take them into the promised land. The promised land was this amazing place where there was milk and honey and food galore. And it was their dream come true. It was fantasy land. The, the promised land, but they were so lacking faith and trust in God and kept constantly arguing and arguing that God knew to keep them alive, he couldn't get them into the promised land. They weren't ready to do it. So he kept them really in the, in the desert, taking care of them like little babies that had to be fed all the time because that's all that they, all they want to do is sit around and complain and do nothing and not walk out on anything Nothing, even though God had promised it, they did not want to take God up on his promises. So they wound up limiting their lives, floating around in the desert, and the devil just wreaked havoc with them. I'm telling you, the devil is the God of this world, and he's not nice. It's a spirit being, not a person, but the devil is evil and dark and wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. You know, if God wants to be there for protection, but he's given us free will... What happened out there in, in the desert was not the will of God. God wanted to take them to this fabulous place where all their dreams and fantasies came true, but they couldn't, they, they, they weren't even, they didn't have like any little iota of willingness. They had nothing. They just wanted, for one, to stay babies, you know, and it was nothing. They just really needed to trust God enough to walk into the promised land. So it just held them back from what God wanted to do. Our lives look a lot like that. I've seen it, unfortunately. And we've seen it. You can't live life without seeing it. You know, I think for many of us, I know for me, I think God probably wanted to take me into the promised land a long time ago. But my unwillingness and stubbornness and not wanting to, I wanted to be self-sufficient and not get help from anybody else and not really seek answers and being shut down and closed off. So I lived in the desert for a long time. You know, limiting what God could do for me. God's going to do the best he can with what we give him. You know, and he did for the children of Israel during that time. You know, he, they just stayed babies. He fed them. And, I mean, he took care of me. He fed them. They didn't starve, you know. He did the best that he could given the circumstances. But for each and every one of us, God's got more. God's got more. But part of this is... As far as if we're trying to stay in the me church, we're not going to get into the promised land. We're just going to be limited. God will love you. God will take care of you. But as far as what God can do and the blessings of what, he, what he's got for you, it's going to be really limited. And it's not because God's hard-hearted. It's not because God's withholding. God doesn't operate that way. And then it says in uh Finishing this out, um, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So th things never change. Same things come up for people. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is no temptation that you cannot bear with God. You cannot bear it without God. But you can bear it with God. God is big enough that there is no temptation. Some people read this that you're just not going to, you know, that God somehow 
just only gives you things that you can handle. I don't, personally, I don't get that. I think it really is more that whatever you get, you can handle with God. You know, we get hard stuff. We, are, we do get hard stuff. It doesn't magically work out that we only get the easy stuff when we're ready for it. It doesn't work out that way. It, that's why I don't believe that this, that this can be understood that way. It doesn't really fit with a lot of the other things. It just says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There is always a way out. You know, there is no abandonment here. There is no situation that God will abandon you, no matter what it is. You know, and God doesn't, again, God, God does the heavy lifting, but at certain points... You know, it's, it's time if we really, really want to walk into the promised land, you can't stay an infant. So, and there's stages. There's stages of growth. Right now, it's thinking about where you're at and what might be for everybody. Like, what is it? Where are the steps that maybe God could be calling you to grow? You know, what's that going to look like? I think, too, a big part of growth, it's that giving cycle. You know, that it is, a, it is a place, even if you're little, like the whole, I think of Giovanni with, you know, the whole thing of his enthusiasm for wanting to help and how that helps some, uh, kids grow up. It's just a really vivid a- image because Adam's always, like, he's, it's just hilarious to me when he carries the cross and all those things. <laughs> and it's like, it feels really helpful. That's what it'll look like. It really will with God. You know, and that's what I think it talks about as far as the temptation goes, is that all we have to do is invite God in, but God will also help you to grow and grow and grow as you walk it out to, to the point of your desire, your willingness, and where you want to include God in that. But part of the promised land is a discipline, is a training. So think about that. It takes structure. Sometimes it helps the men's and women's uh, groups you know, help with some of that as far as just support or structure. It doesn't mean everybody's got to go into the ambassador program. You know, sometimes it doesn't. It just means, like, but what might be the thing that God's calling you for as far as next step for your growth goes? What are the places that you could be stepping out and giving a little bit as far as what that is for you? Where are areas that have been a challenge that you could trust God more to give of your gifts, your time, your ability of speaking the gospel, of financially, whatever it is, What's the next step? So we don't, the me church sounds great, guys. But it's not, it won't get you to the promised land. It keeps you in the desert. Keeps you in the desert. So amen, hallelujah.